Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host Tim Picararo and Megan Finner. Are you ready to be inspired? Well, hello and welcome to Uphill Conversations. I am your host, Tim. And I'm Megan. And we're so glad you could join us as you are living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully you are eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So welcome to episode 34. That's right. So uh, our guest uh, this week is a wonderful person that we've both known, and we'll talk more about her in a minute, Mm -hmm. but we've both known her for, for me, it's 15 plus years, we had to figure it out, had to do some math, Mm -hmm. had to do some math and add up to go back to figure out how long it's been, and then you've known her as well, and so we kind of have a, it's kind of like a neat little shared experience um, for someone that we share in common. We share this friend. (laughs) Well, and it's really fun just to be able to talk to them in a different setting, and maybe dig in a little bit deeper um, with them and find out their thoughts on things that they might not share with everyone. That's true. And and that is the thing because I think but we know this person, both of us in the professional realm mostly. It's mostly. mostly in work and other stuff like that and events and but anyways, so um hey, I I gotta tell you something really quick. So I'm at <laughs> I'm at my son's soccer game, right? Right. And so um, it just so happens that my daughter's art teacher's son plays on the team, too. And my daughter loves this art teacher. And um, so uh, my daughter's doing something like, you know, she's watching the game, supposedly, but that's just not happening. (laughs) So the game's going great. Everything's going fine. And so it was at halftime. And so her art teacher um, says, can I ask you something? I was like, sure. She goes, she goes, have you ever heard? Someone named their kid this before, and she told me what the name was. And I was like, what? No. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, okay, so I was at <laughs> I was at this festival or something, and I keep hearing somebody yell, NASCAR. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, NASCAR? She goes, like, yeah. I was like, NASCAR! NASCAR! <laughs> And so she's looking, like, looking around, like, wondering what in the world. And all of a sudden, this kid comes over and goes, I'm sorry, Mom, I wasn't listening. The kid is named NASCAR. Now, what she said was she knew that she was in the South. No offense, because she was born here. She goes, but I really knew I live in South Carolina when I hear a mother calling their son NASCAR. Well, and there's a big difference between like, so my cousin, uh, his kids' names are, he has a Ford. Oh. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He has Lincoln and Bentley, but they almost named Bentley Ford. Oh my gosh. I know. So obviously Ford after the president. Right. But yeah, so Ford and Bentley. And we're like, Where what are this? you going to do when you have a girl? What are yeah, you going to name her? her? Well, I don't know. That'd be interesting. Call yeah. her, call her, what is it? Rose Royce. <laughs> <laughs> right? Maybe it's. Give her two names too. That's you know the hyphenated kind of thing. Whatever. You know. I can't believe someone named their kid NASCAR. NASCAR. I know. I mean, I was just like, I, I just, I was just like, whoa, NASCAR. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll name my kid Jeep. Jeep. That's a Jeep. Not I don't like know. NASCAR. That's just kind of yeah. It's not, but still Jeep. That would just kind of be. Well, that was your first car too, mm-hmm. wasn't that? Yeah. Did you blow it up? Did you tear that thing up? No. 
That thing could go like zero to 50 in about two minutes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Two minutes? No, it would stall out all the time. So it's like a Fred Flintstone car. You had to get those legs moving with it? Well, so it was an 84. So it was, you know, it was two years younger than me (laughs) when I got it. And you would have to pump the gas pedal a few times before you tried to turn it on. And then I would say one out of five times at a stoplight it would just die and you just turn to off. like you just have to pump and you the were gas that person that you have to crank it. in the car again yeah but i think the one time so my brother and sister both drove it before me but the one time i think my brother drove it he tried to take it over 65 and the tire just like came apart it just like died i mean the whole tire just was in shreds so that car was I, that car was actually trying to tell you <laughs> this is it this is like these are my limitations <laughs> And you just didn't listen to him, no. so take it over. I, I had a car that one time I would go over a certain speed, and the whole thing would shake. Just it'd be, yeah. and it's like it, it, it's like warning you. It's like danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> well, and this, yeah, this it was a champagne, um, champagne, champagne. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> who's ugly tan cars? I was like, it's champagne. Yeah, let it's me champagne. correct you. It's champagne. Um, but yeah, it was. We called it the Beast. It was awesome. It was a great car. My first car I spray painted, like literally the whole entire car. It was spray paint, blue. Do you have a picture? Um, no, I'm gonna have to ask my mom see if she has something. <laughs> like that. But no, literally got it. I had to put the and bought it. It was a Plymouth Duster. It was a it was a duster, and um, I had and it had a shift on the column. It was a slant six, and you had a shifter, and it didn't have a motor. So I got the body was given to me, and then found the engine and transmission together. They were yoked up. And bought it for 200 bucks. And then my my stepdad, he's like, you can drive this car. This will be a great car for you to drive. And so he's like, okay, so good luck getting the engine in it. <laughs> so he made me learn how to get the engine in the car, and that's what I had to do. And, you know, that's when the days when mm-hmm. kids had to actually do stuff. Yeah. Um, well, actually, like, so my husband, Mike, he has always said that when Eileen gets her first car, he's going to buy one that's like a 1995 Subaru, something that's like a 20-year-old car, and she's going to have to help him rebuild it if she wants to drive it. Uh, That's going to (laughs) be... Let's get some video on these conversations. (laughs) It's going to be good. (laughs) Okay, so before we get to the interview, though, I have a random question for you. Okay, Um, I'm ready for this random question. I'm ready for anything. Okay. Tim. Yes, Megan. If you had only two weeks to live... How would you spend your time? What would you do? Um, two weeks. Two weeks. Fourteen days. Fourteen days. Wow. And I, this is just like you. I, I just don't know. like what would I do? What would you do? There's if nothing. There's nothing. Like you're still fully capable, but you're just you're gonna die in so, two weeks. All right. So like a meteor's coming. Yes. Or something. Yeah. And you only have two weeks. Alien invasion. What are you? Alien gonna do? invasion. Um. And I can name off a bunch of stuff. You have 14 days. It has to be in 14, 14 days. days. I would steal someone's Tesla <laughs> <laughs> just so I could drive one because I don't own one. So that one is illegal and but I don't recommend. But you'd have to do that like later in the two weeks because you wouldn't want to do that at the beginning. Well, I would go to jail. Yeah, so that would be on the end of it. Okay. Okay, so the first things I would do would be, obviously, I would download everything I possibly could to my to my kids, to my children. Tell them everything I possibly can. 
Which may take two weeks. So then you'd have one day left. <laughs> have one day left to steal the Tesla. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. That's rough. So I would try to, okay, here's what I would try to do within two weeks. Okay. I would try to download everything I could to my kids, everything that I know, everything that, like, tell them every story I can, show, give them all the files, resources, tools, everything that I have available to me, all that stuff, right? I would have to do that. Um... I would definitely make sure that I, anyone that I've wronged or harmed or anything like that, that'd be important to me to make sure that they heard from my mouth if they were around or I could find them or whatever, um, you know, my repentance to them. If I've harmed them, hurt them, whatever, I would do that. Um, and I would try to always do that anytime I do that in life. But I would really like be making a list of like, you know, who did I, you know, who did I miss? You know, I would try to do that. Um, I would give away um, um, as much, you know, valuable things as I possibly could give away to people that have need. Um, I would, let's see, man, so many things. Um, I would try to take some sort of great family vacation but see, that would be like, a, you, could, you know what I mean? If that's what the, you did the whole time. Um, but I still would have to drive. If I don't steal the Tesla, <laughs> I still want to drive one. And I only had two weeks. And um, and also I would, you know, try to compile the best that I could my book, you know, into. Because if it's two weeks mm -hmm. and if we're going from like today and that was in two weeks. Um, yeah, because it, I would need to get the book out and maybe a song or two. Okay. That's a lot of stuff. That that's too. That's too much pressure. I know. Sorry. That's just too many things. I mean, I gotta go kiss my mom and hug her. I gotta go. I mean, that's a woo. Yeah, you gotta see a lot of people. See a lot of people. Give a lot of hugs. Lots and lots of hugs. Um, I got. I mean, I would want to try things I haven't tried before. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know, putting like onions on a salad <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Had to bring salad in. Tim had to, he had to squeeze that in. See, now I almost in a way want you to answer this question. No. <laughs> because. It's not my then turn. I don't, then there's going to be a part two that you're going to have to answer this question. <laughs> you're going to have to answer it. Okay. Well, thank you. That was good. That was really good. Well. I feel like those are kind of lame, but it was fine. But, no. You... And I am not stealing cars. Anybody listening to this, I'm not stealing <laughs> But I think if it was my last day and I could steal one, I'm driving a Tesla. Like the no well, what drives you do, itself. You would one. do it like the legit way. You go to the dealership. You'd be like, hey, can I test drive this? They'd be like, well, we, our normal policy is that someone rides along. You're like, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I own the one day to live. Well, if it's a so meteor, can, they can know they're dying me, too. Can you just let me? Well, let's, it's it's only going to hit you. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> so, no, it'll just be like, I only, can I just drive this by myself? I want the experience. And then you just, you just leave. You never bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then get hit by the meteor in that car. <laughs> wow. Okay, so episode... 34. 34. Nika White. Yep, Dr. Nika White. Yep, she just got her doctorate. She did. Um, for those of you who are from the Greenville area, from the upstate, you have probably... Uh, heard of Nika. She um, is, well, she up until recently, uh, she was the VP of Diversity and Inclusion for the Greenville Chamber, and she has since branched off into her own consulting business, still working with the Greenville Chamber. Um, but she is doing really great things in the upstate. She is bringing a lot of attention and focus to the world of inclusion. 
Yeah, and one of the things, I mean, she lives this, which mm -hmm. is great. And in this conversation, what I really like, and I hope those of you will, you'll just listen to it, because a lot of people, they don't know enough about it, or you may have wrong viewpoints of it. Um, but what I like is this is really a part of who she is. And every job she's had, like I've known her in the advertising agency world. I've watched her go through different things. We worked with her on the MLK Dream Weekend. Um, my agency worked with her on coming up with all the designs and all the creative on that. And she's always just been this person to just bring new ideas. And she's a very, um, she's very driven. She's very, um, you know, lots of ideas are always working, but she really digs deep into stuff and she invests in it. And I think you'll hear it on how she answers, answers so thoughtfully, you, you know, she's very thoughtful. Yeah, and I think one of the coolest things about her story that you'll hear, she didn't initially set out to do this type of work, uh, but she just had this passion inside of her, and it, it she just allowed that to kind of carry her through and to bring her to where she is now. And um, she really gave us some great stuff. And uh, even if you are somebody who thinks that you know Nika White, Take a listen to this. I think that I think you'll you'll be pleasantly surprised. Right, and it's very very open, very personal. So, hey, so without any further delay, let's jump into this interview with our friend Nika White. All right, well, welcome to Uphill Conversations, Nika White. How are you today? I am well, Tim. How are you? Doing great. So, Nika, we're so glad you could be on the show. I know we've had to kind of schedule all of our schedules are kind of crazy. But a long time ago, I mentioned this being on the podcast, and we're rocking and rolling with it. And we want very unique people that will come out and help add fuel to people's journey. You know, just be good ride along information that's going to help them not only in their professional life, but mostly we care about that personal stuff, you know. And, yeah. um, and we've known each other, which we did get the record straight. So it's 15 <laughs> plus year yep, don't forget that plus that's that plus that was on that <laughs> plus side and we um i mean we go back to valley brook yes uh erwin penland yes is there any what's in between that well um <laughs> well mlk dream weekend mlk dream weekend chamber the chamber right um our kids going to school together kids going growing to school. up together that's right of that's course, right i always thought that maybe you know your daughter and one of my boys <laughs> So you sounds like you've given up on that, have you? I haven't. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> given up on it, but I haven't. You know, I we've know. got to find a way to like kind I know. of we turn turn the the direction toward. You're better. so right. You're so right. We got to get that happen before they go off to college and meet the wrong people. I know. So now you know our kids are going to hate us right now because we're having this conversation <laughs> without them. It, well, my kids do listen to it. Uh oh. Uh, especially Eden, she listens to it and, and gives me feedback. That's sweet, sweet <laughs> so, Eden. But anyways, yeah. So. We're going to um, just take a journey with you today, and um, one of the great things is congrats on your book. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, you uh, put a lot of time into it, I know, and, and thought in years, and finally came out of you. Yeah, was, I tried. What, what was that like? Oh, my goodness. It was, um, you know, I was already really in this grind of, of allocating my time to very specific things because I was, you know, just finishing up my doctorate program, and so... While I felt like I had all of this additional time, once I finished, I said, let me just channel into getting this book done. So it really was a labor of love. And so I think that I um, had the benefit of writing about a topic that was so close to me, you know, diversity and inclusion, that it didn't feel like a chore. Um, I was excited to write. 
Um, but then I also thought on many days, will people really enjoy this? Will they get value out of it? You know, am I saying the same thing that a lot of other people have said? And someone said to me, maybe you are, but no one has heard it from you. There you go. And I like that. So that kind of gave me a little momentum. Well, that's, that's the way to do it. And that's that's been my struggle. You know, you, feel, you can feel like an imposter or, yeah. you know, why are they going to want to hear my voice? And, you exactly. know, do they know me? Yeah. Doesn't matter. And 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 the thing is, I told people, they said, you know, when I started this podcast way back before Megan and I started getting going on it, they were like, you know, why your podcast? You know, one of my friends said that to me and I said, I said, you ever watch the cooking show, you know, and it's like, say they're doing all barbecue, like they got five guys doing a cooking yeah. competition and they're given the same ingredients and everything. But they also can add their own little twist to it. Yes. And that's what I said. So we're cooking meat. But mine's going to taste different than yours. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and hopefully I'll do pretty good and yeah. nobody will get sick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that analogy. And that that is, in essence, what I tried to do. I mean, while a lot of the information was not novel, it was not something that was just new and unheard of, but it was how it was presented from my lens, the perspective that I had about it. You know, so many people always talk about diversity and inclusion, and specifically, they always um, treat their audience as, you know, the corporations, but the large pockets and diversity officer. For me, I wanted to appeal to the individual. You know, we mm. all have a sphere of influence in which we are connected to, and so we don't have to have the title of diversity and inclusion in order to be the inclusion in the world we want to see. Mm. We can do that in and of ourselves, in our own sphere of influence. So interestingly enough, we had a recent conversation with um, Amy Jo Martin, actually the episode that just aired um, this week, and we discussed how diversity and inclusion and, you know, the women's movement and other issues around equality and diversity have become almost trendy in how companies market themselves. So as you're continuing to do this work, how do you, how do you move beyond that headline that checks a box that says we're relevant, we have a diversity and inclusion focus. How do you do work that really creates change? Oh, wow, that's a great question. You know, the first thing I will say is that for me, um, I can't change the vocabulary, you know, but language is real important to me. So one of the things that I talk about often when I introduce this subject is to take it out of the context of, you know, the phrase diversity and inclusion and really talk about it from a standpoint of effective management of human difference. And when we reframe the conversation, I find that people are able to engage in a more effective way. Um, because you're right, I think that the words diversity and inclusion, they have become buzzwords. They're just kind of sexy to toss around, particularly in a lot of you know corporations who really want the, um, the, the political capital that comes with it, You know, mm -hmm. saying that they are a leader in the space of diversity and inclusion. If it were up to me, I would completely eradicate the words diversity and inclusion for that very reason, because it's totally lost its power. And I think that's sad, because that's how people really identify when you start talking about difference. But for me, I find that the best way is to reframe the conversation, you know, come up with some different language, some different words. And, you know, soon people won't even realize that they're talking about inclusion, this very important topic, because otherwise, sometimes when they realize that at the outset, they shy away from it, because they know it's delicate. And, um, and that it could potentially lead to um, some banter that maybe is a little mm -hmm. unhealthy, unproductive, unwelcomed. So change the conversation. Talk about it in a different way. 
So even if you change the conversation, though, and no matter how we frame it, I'm sure that, you know, in your past, your current roles, Mm -hmm. as you've gone along, you've encountered people, you know, maybe they haven't been true skeptics, but they just don't understand the Mm -hmm. value of how inclusion and diversity relates to business and leadership development. So when those people, you know, they don't have the same experience as you, they don't have the same viewpoint as you. So what would be your suggestion in really reaching those people and bringing them into the conversation? So whether you change, is it changing the language? Um, how, how do you do that? How do you bring people in who may, may not believe in the value to the table? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think education is so key. And it's not education from a standpoint of just regurgitating information to someone, but it's also listening, understanding with their from their lens how they perceive the world. Um, I'm one of those DNI practitioners. I don't believe in shaming and guilting people into the work of inclusion. I really want them to conclude on their own the value of it, and that takes you know giving live examples. It takes um, you know showcasing key success stories where inclusion has prevailed and it led to um, you know great results for. For, for all of those that may have been involved. Um, but we have to ask questions, and we have to also give people the room to um, to grow and to learn and to be curious. And, you know, the best way for people to be curious is to ask questions, and you have to allow folks to recognize that you don't know what you don't know, so we have to extend grace and accept grace. I say all the time that, you know, we all have biases, and, you know, while sometimes it could be very conscious, most often they're not. So people are well-intended in general. And if we believe that and that people are coming from a place of positive intent, then I think that we have a better chance of continuing the dialogue versus someone getting offended and then walking away with the conversation never to be revisited again. That's what I found to be successful. So how, how would you suggest, I mean, what tips would you give to someone who is just curious? Because, you know, they might not be familiar with someone's religion or socioeconomic background, or, you know, they may just be uneducated. So what suggestion would you give to them if they want to ask a question that they might be, you know, a little scared about how it's going to be perceived? I think there, there are two answers to that. The first is um, I think that people are going to have to follow their curiosity through. It's not enough just to be curious. If I'm really curious to the point to where I want to understand and learn, there are way too many resources out there. I mean, the Internet just provides way too many resources. There are webinars. There are conferences. There are DNI practitioners like myself that are willing to sit down with someone just to have an open, candid conversation in a, in a safe environment. Um, and so I think that someone has to allow their curiosity to lead them to action. And then I think also the second part of that is um, we can't be afraid. We have to have a certain level of boldness about us. Um, And I think that if we present the topic in such a way to where people really understand that our questions are being fueled by the the need and the desire to want to learn, then, um, then, then we can find that those conversations are more often welcome than not. You know what I love is um, <clears throat> you just said, you know, just be bold. I love that. Mm-hmm. From the time I met you, this is what I loved. You've always been in unique positions, different jobs. You've, you know, you've helped ministries. You've helped, you know, a large advertising agency. Um, you know, what you've done with the chamber and the work there. One of the things that I, I always loved and I appreciated was, and I was telling uh, Megan in a conversation earlier about this, is that, you know, you would have to, you were bold enough to walk down the hallway 
to talk to who's in charge oh, yeah. and say, <laughs> hey, let me bring this to your attention. Let me sit with you, have a conversation. Let me tell you why this is valuable. Let me tell you how this will be helpful. Let me tell you how this is a change agent can really make a difference. And, you know, and being bold like that, like, um, Tell me some of the moments where you were like, maybe you ran into the brick wall and you felt like you were just like, I'm just talking to talk. It felt like, but you never stopped. You always seemed to persist. And so what were your workarounds when you hit those obstacles? You know, especially like what I know you did in a big ad agency that you worked with. You brought in the idea. You were the one that said, hey, look, you know, there are people maybe they were talking about it and thinking about it. and But you actually said, let's not just talk about this, let's do it. So dealing with resistance of that and not losing your courage, being bold, being brave with it, being persistent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, so how did you, how did you do that? How did you deal with it? You know, Tim, I really was drawn to this work. And because I was drawn to this work, I felt as though it was, it was part of um, my purpose. And when you really spend some time being in um, reflective mode to where you understand kind of your journey and your history and you can't let something go, it's just like anything else. You just stay the course regardless of when those barriers may come. And the work of inclusion is very complicated. It's not easy at all because it's, it's not easily understood. And again, it's one of those delicate things that people tend to want to dance around. And so for me, I just felt that preparation is what gave me that level of boldness to have mm. that conversation. I was so prepared for it. You know, I remember sitting in my office one day and I just had this epiphany. I started thinking about how much I love the work that I do in the space of, of um, you know, marketing communications and how I love the agency environment, the fast paced dynamics of it. You know, everything was on time, on budget, on strategy. I love that. And we were spending so much time and energy helping the you know clients that we were servicing to create all of these wonderful results that they were after. And when you consider that um, the marketing partners that we were working with represent Diverse America, I could not let that go. It begged the question, why are we not doing more and being more intentional about creating this very diverse workforce so that we can be smarter, more effective marketing partners to our clients? And so the preparation came from recognizing what is the business case? And now how do we articulate, how do I personally articulate that business case you know, to, to my superiors so that... I would have audience with them and they would and they would hear that there really was an opportunity. And so it was that preparation fueled by also being drawn to this space that I became very passionate about. Um, and so the power of intentions is really how I would sum that up for me. Mm. And I love the fact that when you're 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 not just saying to someone, hey, stop what you're doing, you're wrong. It's hey, these are wonderful things we're doing and they're great and they're right. But what would happen if we changed it up a little bit, added to, and it's, you actually were saying, let's add to the core of our business in order to develop a better service or product or outcome for our client. And guess what? We get to um, be a catalyst towards the way they think for their future. Absolutely. I mean, were you, I mean, did you get to, when was the first time that you saw that work? Like that really happened? Like something that was going on, maybe some project you are on, you don't have to name the businesses. I know we want to be safe mm-hmm. or whatever, but when it, when was it? Was it like early on? Was it like, I don't know, was it a 10 year ago mark? Like when did that mark and you go, 
all of it clicked. And then you saw not only what you did inside, but how that was changing it now and making effect on the outside. So many, so many examples, but I, I think for the most part, it was when we started, um, again, just being very intentional about going after certain clients that we knew had very diverse, you know, customer base. And when it boiled down to the pitch sessions and the process to actually try to get the, get the business, um, we found ourselves not thinking um, very intently about how do we reach this segment and not just treat everybody like, like they, like everything resonates with everybody the same way. And, you know, when you start to go through that process and you realize that you, you have a missed opportunity because you didn't get the business, it leads you to start evaluating, well, what do we not do? Or what do we do that uh, we could improve upon next time? Or where do we miss the mark? Or what do we miss here that we just didn't have on our radar? And then we started noticing that along with that trend, there were a lot of clients who would maybe approach the organization, but what would happen is they would want to know who on your team, what's the makeup of that diverse team, and um, you know who's going to be in what role, working on the creative, working on the account servicing. And it was clear to us they were looking for very specific information, experience, demographics, background, because they wanted to know, do we have a team that represents the community in which we serve? And sometimes we weren't able to really answer that um, in an in a effective way. And so, you know, you, then you have to look internally. Where do we start now to try to change this, this landscape so that we can be um, better at our jobs? Hmm. And, and, I'm, and I'm curious about this. Did you notice that, you know, be, because once it's a new idea or a person, as you said, it's not enough to be curious. Yeah. And it's not just enough to say we would like to. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you started doing this process, right, and you started seeing this work, how did that start to change you even? What kind of changes were happening in you at that time? It was so my work became so much more rewarding because actually when I had that tough, bold conversation with um, the president CEO at the time, he listened very intently. Then he said, "Okay, great. You're right. We're going to do this. Nika, you're going to lead it. Now, how do we do it? And while I talked about preparation before, I was prepared for that conversation, but not for (laughs) the next thing, not the the yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Not the yes. And so but I had to become really smart, really quick. And the best thing that I knew to do was to put smart people in my camp that were already very successful in the space of diversity and inclusion within their respective organizations. And that's what we did. We fumbled oftentimes. But I always say that we were after progress and not perfection. And that helped tremendously mm. because there's not an end goal. There's not a destination. You have to just keep moving, keep going, because it, the work of inclusion is constantly evolving and changing. And, um, you know, and each industry has its own nuances that create some challenges in and of itself in terms of creating this very inclusive, you know, work environment. And, you know, marketing communications was, was one of them. And so we just, we we had to keep going. We had to keep working. And what I found was that when we had some small wins that we then could build some momentum around, that gave us now the ability to then, okay, we can do this. Let's go after the next project. Let's go after the next thing. You can't try to tackle Rome in a day. And I kept having to tell myself that. And I kept having to allow myself to be, um, to celebrate the small milestones and wins. Because when you're really passionate about something, if it doesn't happen in a timetable that you want it to happen, you could become very frustrated Mm. to the point to where you may feel like this is not worth it. Why am I doing this? I'm going to do something else. But um, I I saw it. I believed in the work. 
And I then I began to even shift how I talked about diversity and inclusion. It was no longer about this is the right thing to do. Let's just all be happy and go to Disney World and and feel like we're you know around Mickey and his family every single day. <laughs> you know, because, I like that Mickey and his family. Yeah, because well, well, a lot of people they really are fueled by it's the right thing to do and it's the right thing to do. And yes, it is the right thing to do. But more importantly, what moves the needle around the work of inclusion is when you can connect it to the bottom line and how it creates greater results, higher performing teams, more innovative ideas, and greater um, you know, problem-solving ability among teams, and greater talent engagement. The list goes on and on. But that's only if you manage that diversity and that difference effectively. You can have a lot of diversity, but if it's not managed effectively, mm-hmm. it can have an adverse effect. Mm-hmm. And so we have to make sure that we acknowledge that as well. So just hearing you go through that story and and kind of your journey, obviously, one thing that is really cool, I think, for you is that you have this incredible passion and you've figured out how to line that up with what you feel is your purpose. Mm-hmm. And that continues to drive you forward and have great momentum. So as you've moved from role to role and you're doing different things, you've got your book, you've got this great momentum, you've got your doctorate, how... How are you making sure that you're staying aligned and in check and focused on what you're doing? Because I'm sure you're having a lot of new opportunities and um, new great things happening around you. So how do you keep yourself going forward without getting split in too many different directions? I believe in personal strategic planning. So the same way that many of us go into our respective organizations and we walk into the boardroom and we pull out our flip charts and our markers and we revisit our mission and our vision, I believe in doing that personally for our lives as well. And so that's what kept me, this is what has kept me to course so far. When I go back and I revisit, what is my mission? What is my purpose? What do I want to eventually do? If the things that are coming my way, the opportunities do not align with that, then I'm very much inclined to say no. I, my life is incredibly busy as a mom, as a wife, uh, you know, two teenagers, you know, business owner, someone very, you know, um, involved in community work. I have to be very strategic and I have to be very intentional and purposeful. And so if it's not something that aligns with um, what I feel like is part of my why, I have no issues really kind of saying that that's a good cause, it's a good opportunity, but it's just not something that I need to be investing my time in. You know, and I think that the trap that a lot of us fall into, especially those who have a lot of God-given great talents, is that we feel like we are kind of a jack of all trades. We can do a lot of things well, but just because you can do a lot of things well does not mean you need to be doing a lot of things necessarily. So, um, and I, I was able to realize that quite some time ago. And it was all because of, again, just being very intentional about charting this strategic plan for my life. Did you ever have a moment, I guess, where you got into a situation where you almost had to pause and hit reset and maybe back out of some things yes. or regroup? All the time. All the time. Um, it is so much easier to talk about these things than it is to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, all the time. You know, I remember when I was starting my doctorate program and I was so excited about it in the beginning and then, you know, the work set in and then the long hours set in and then the sacrificing of time with family and other things that I really valued set in. And I started questioning, why are you doing this again? You know, what, why is this important to you? And, um, and I had all these, you know, reasons, and I, and I had a plan for it. it. It Certainly getting my doctorate, it fit into the plan that I had for my life. But there were so many days that I sat down and I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just tired. I'm worn out. Mm-hmm. I want to just enjoy the evening, kind of cuddle up with the book in the bed and, you know, just watching television show or, or whatever the case may be. 
Um, but once I got so far into it, uh, my DNA is just, you know, there's no such thing as now backing out. You're in it now. you you got to persevere. And I think that's why they say, you know, getting a doctorate is more about persevering than it is anything else. I mean, the workload is one thing. You know, if you're disciplined, you can get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a very delicate process. And there were many times that I felt um, – this is not worth it. It's not worth the time commitment. It's not worth um, what the potential rewards are going to be in the end. Um, so that's why, again, I go back to the importance of having a plan because it was part of my plan and I didn't want to gravitate from that. Well, you know, um, one of the things you were talking about earlier, just, you know, you, you may you may be able to do a whole lot of things, but they're just not you know right for you. I call that the curse of being capable. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. I've lived that a very long time I was going to say, life. Tim, that is your life. I look <laughs> yeah. at you and I'm like, you're the jack of yeah. so many different trades. Yeah, and so I've had to learn to say no, no, oh, no. And by the way, before you ask <laughs> no, like I'm learning, you know, I'm yeah. learning more about it because I'm such a server. I like to give, mm-hmm. you know, I want to help. Mm-hmm. And I like putting these things to work. But one of the things I learned was that Everything I was learning to do or I was capable of doing, now it turned into the work. And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) Just because I'm capable doesn't mean that's good. And a good friend of mine who, before I ever launched this podcast, um, he was my accountability buddy. We did a 100-day journey together. Mm -hmm. He had a project he was working on. I had one I'm doing. So in 100 days, we're launching Mm -hmm. what it is that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And so we did this together, this whole process. And he looked at me. He was like, Tim, you're really good. at You got the curse of being capable, man. (laughs) And I was just like. But if you think about that, it's the curse. If you think about it, the curse of, because you don't get the deep stuff. A lot of times you find yourself not in your strength and you find yourself just, you know, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And you're going to end up diluting some of the potency of, you know, of the things that could actually happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, my goal is to have my book done this year. You know, there's certain things that I've treated like, you know, when this is just a statement, but a redheaded stepchild, you know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you're just this, this thing that you're everybody. Oh yeah. That's yeah. He's with us, you know? And that's what I feel like my dreams do. Sometimes they pop up and go, you know, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still with me, you know, but all these other things yeah. matter most. And so I'm learning to be very, I'm, be, I'm learning to be better at being selfish, mm, but yeah. in a good selfish way, mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's selfish meaning taking care of what's inside of me and making sure that those things have the opportunity to grow, but not disconnecting myself from the things that are going to be an important part of that. Mm -hmm. And that is because I want real value. So speaking of value, people who are unknown can rise to the top. Value rises to the top, right? And um, to the top when they offer value, though, people can rise to the top. So if you look at the things that really get all over the place on the internet, you know, viral, which is a one of those crazy words, but it's not the popular people. It's mm-hmm. it's somebody that like the kid who gets the glasses put on and mm-hmm. he sees something, he sees his parents <laughs> for the first time, uh, and just that you yeah, know that excitement. Yeah. You know, for those who can't see me, I'm just kind of like jerking around here. A little bit. <laughs> but I mean, just the joy in that that goes viral. Yes, but it's valuable. Because you're seeing what that's like, the impact of someone finding a way to help this child who couldn't see, see. Mm-hmm. With you, you know, you've been rising, you know, and I've known you. I've watched you rise all these years. You've been mm-hmm. rising and you've been very good about it. You've not been like, hey, you know, I'm rising. You know, I'm great. You've been doing the work. Right. But I'm curious. What's your process for creating <laughs> value, though? What is your, if you were to say, like, when it comes to the things that you're doing, like the intentional 
you know, things, steps, habits, what's that look like and your process of just creating value, not for viral purposes, not for any of that, but that's in alignment with you, true to you, and can really make an impact in other people's lives. So here's what I would say about that. I don't know if I have a process, but I do have certain principles that I feel like very routinely find its way into everything that I do, especially something that I really care about. And I'm the type of person that um, if I care about it, there's absolutely no other way but to be all in. And I have just a huge spirit of conviction about that. You don't have to do it. You all, you're all in. And my all in looks a certain way. I mean, it's very deliberate. It's very intentional. It's very calculated. It is um, a lot of forethought goes into it. And, and really what I'm doing, if you want to refer to that as my process, is I am trying to chart a pathway of success to get the end result that I am seeking. And hands down, that end result is always going to look a certain way. And the only way I know how to describe that is it, it, it's excellence. I, I believe it's, it's funny because my church, um, our tagline is pursuing a more excellent way. And we talk about that in different respects in ministry, in the marketplace, and resources in our relationships. And I have really taken that and, and made it so much of, um, of who I am personally. And so, and what I find, Tim, how I know that it's adding value is that I find that when I associate that process, that level of thinking um, to anything that I touch, I, I start noticing how others start to also model some of those same practices. Mm. You know, I start like if I'll do an event, um, some of the different touch points about the event that really makes the entire experience um, very worthwhile for people to where it's very impressionable. I notice how maybe another event that happens down the road that somebody else is leading. Now those same touch points find its way into that event. Um, I have a lot of people that will come to me and say, you know, and unbeknown to me, I had no idea they even were paying attention to what I was doing, but they will be able to regurgitate to me something that I said one day that stood out to them. And so my point is, is that I feel like it's just, um, it's the power of intentions. It's that believing that what you're doing is going to produce some type of end result that's going to be worthwhile. And if you believe that something is worthwhile, for me, it allows me to be all in. I don't know halfway. I'm all in. I'm an all in type person. So that's why I have to be willing to say no. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I am. I mean, there's times people don't know what's wrong with me because I don't seem like I'm really engaged. It's because... I just have that I'm either in or I'm out. Uh, yes, exactly. Like, are we going to do this? Or are we not doing mm -hmm. this? Or yeah. that in between stuff, I have a hard time with. Me too. And, and I can't make anything valuable. I really I can't. I'm going to, I have to honestly say to them, you're going to get what you get. But let me be vulnerable <laughs> with you. Okay. It, it's, it's also, it's also a very vulnerable place to be sometimes. And the reason I say that is because I get frustrated when people around me do not match my effort. Mm. And um, my best, my pursuit of excellence is not going to look exactly like somebody else's. And so I'm constantly having to balance myself to remember that so that I am helping others to feel like they can also aspire towards whatever their greatness is, whatever right. their excellence is, because that's right. important to me as well, you know? Um, 
So yeah, it, it's what did you call it before? A capable curse. Curse of being capable. Curse of being capable. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. I do that now because you know the other thing is like multitasking. Yeah. I say to people all the time, "Wow, if multitasking is your trophy, you can have it." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because that means you're telling something else that you're not yeah. worth that much. Yeah, exactly. Because there's no way you can do all of these things. It's like the glorification of busy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> you may have to come back for it. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a conversation on busy. There you go. <laughs> we'll glorification of busy. The glorification of busy. <laughs> uh, oh man, uh, and it's bad. Tim is talking about this, and I am someone who I do struggle with um, the curse of being capable and also multitasking. So every time we have this conversation, I it's taking a hard look at myself and and all those different things. But um, one thing that um, I really loved in what you said is you can just tell that you know you're all in and you're striving for excellence and you have this great belief in self that you're going to be successful when you're doing these things. Um, But one thing I think that comes along with self-belief and, you know, moving through different organizations and working with so many different people, you know, authenticity is one of those really important qualities of a leader. So what are challenges that you faced in your journey when it comes to being authentic? And have you been challenged with your own authenticity? Yeah, I mean, I have. I think that in general, um, driven people um, don't like for people to see them sweat, you know. So that's part of being vulnerable and allowing um, people in your circle to recognize that you're human just like they are. And there are times that you fail. So I think it's the the acknowledgement of, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing right now and I need help. Mm. And the willingness to, to ask for help. Um, and I also think that part of the authentic piece of, of how you show up to the world is your willingness to also, um, you know, as you're, as you're climbing, you're lifting others as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's interesting because um, maybe a couple months ago, our, the whole staff at the Greenville Chamber, we, we did the Strength Finders exercise. And I love Strength Finders, by the way. I'm just really big on Strength Finders. And one of the, the commentary that actually came back from one of my colleagues was that I was being vulnerable and kind of sharing, you know, um, that sometimes I need support. And sometimes I feel like that support is not just readily available to me. And what was immediately said to me was, well, Nika, you're so poised. You're so well put together that it's hard for us to kind of fathom sometimes that you need support. But now that you are saying that, it's like that's eye-opening for us. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember that just stood out to me because really what it was saying to me is that um, I needed to be even more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I needed to be even more um, human, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and, and strike that balance because, you know, part of driven individuals is you want to be very confident in all that you do. And so in this particular example, that confidence for some people that are in my inner circle working along with me saw that as she has it all together. She doesn't need the support and the help. So let's let her do what she needs to do yeah. and just go She's and fly. Yeah. Yes. And all the while I'm saying, I want more support and help. help. Yeah, I want more support. I want more help. And um, so that, that was really eye-opening for me. Yeah, I know I've, I've experienced that a lot of times. People, people like, well, I didn't know you needed any help. Yeah. You, you didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, and it's true. i got to first speak. You know, I've yes. got to. And, and in a way, we kind of want people to know that that's part of them as well. Unfortunately, I, you know, one of my favorite things to say is assumption is the mother of all disappointment. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that people are like aware that, hey, yeah. he could use some help. Mm-hmm. And well, 
No, they don't know that because they see my confidence. They see that I'm willing to go get it. Yeah. I go get it done. And so I'm sitting there basically, you know, saying, um, I don't know how many minutes here yeah. I can finish treading this here. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, you guys, I'm either be at the bottom of this pool or floating <laughs> on the top of it. Yeah. But, but, you know, I do need that help. And you're right. It is that transparency. It is, yeah. you know, and I appreciate that openness because one of the things we're trying to bring to our listeners is the fact that, you know, significance is a big part of what success should look like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So instead of just chasing the successful things, what if you put the priority on being significant, like having and oh, doing sure. significant work, being, you know, showing up with significance in mind. And if we do that, we're going to be more mindful of, you know, what? I do need to let that person know I need their help. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite quotes, which I did way back when I did that uh, talk on, um, uh, seven habits that you want to spend the rest of your life trying yeah. not to break was that, you know, collaboration is the admission of weakness. It admits yeah. that I'm weak. I need you. Yeah. I need to collaborate with you. Yeah. And we need to be kind of more open with that. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, and as leaders, yeah. it seems like we don't have time to let somebody know that we need your help. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that it, it causes us to fear that we may be perceived as weak. As weak, right, yeah. And um, and that's a tough place to be, you know. Again, mm-hmm. especially if you're like this driven individual and you're really after impact. You you, you feel as though you need for people to see you as on all the time. And oh, the yeah. reality of it is that it does impact how authentic you're coming across to others. I think one of the things that has worked for me, particularly in the space of diversity and inclusion around really trying to be authentic in the work that I do is – I try to always get to the crux of the matter. I'm not a surface DNI practitioner. I don't believe in just talking about it for the sake of talking about it. I want to find out, I want to dig deeper to find out what are those underlining issues that's really causing the problem that we aren't really addressing right now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, you know, your question just reminded me of that. That's often one of the things I hear as a DNI practitioner is that, you know, with Nico, you're not going to get surface. She's going to make you mm-hmm. go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then eventually you're going to uncover what really is the root cause of why this environment is the way it is or why this challenge is, you know, creating some, um, some issues for the organization. Well, the only way you're going to find what's, you know, down under the ground is you got to dig. You got to dig. You know, and a lot of people are afraid of root work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh, absolutely. You know, shallow stuff. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, imagine when you were in high school and someone just, you know, I call it puddle love. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. You, you yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that's what it is like. It's like kissing a puddle. You know what I mean? There's nothing there. You it's know, if you, you want to be in love, you want to you want to, you know, you want to get over your head. Yeah, right? you know exactly. I mean? We'll start with a little puddle. But let's get to <laughs> some ankles and some knees. And and that's the only way things are going to really change, because yeah. if not, you're it, the surface is safe. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like absolutely. not changing. It's the same thing as being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you're putting people on an edge of uncertainty because that's what they got to do. I don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah. How am I going to respond to this? Yeah. Am I going to be open to this? You know, and they have to get, you got to build trust, right? In those yes. types of situations, they got to know that you're not just calling them out. Absolutely. You're not putting them on blast. Yeah. You're going, let's really look at this mm-hmm. if you want to understand, because, mm-hmm. you know, even mm-hmm. earlier when we were talking about a lot of people, they love the they love the banner. They put the mm-hmm. banner up. DNI. Yep. Work we're talking it. about yeah. it. Right. And you're mm-hmm. going, this is a great banner. Uh-huh. Great banner. You <laughs> walk. I dressing. can see Nika. <laughs> hey, this is a great banner you guys have. 
Okay, good, because we're going to do that. But here's where it's going to be different. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, 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 this is, you know, we're going to go beyond what's just going on in yeah. the room. And we're going to get into what's going on inside of you mm-hmm. and one another and learn how we can turn that into a better experience. I mean, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Well, I love um, the work that you're doing. And obviously, you've done a lot over the years to invest in yourself with getting your doctorate. But kind of beyond that, um, what are the things that you do to work on yourself? What are the habits that you have, the rituals that you have to keep yourself in alignment and to keep yourself moving? Oh, great question. Um, I really, truly believe in self-leadership because I believe if we can lead ourselves and manage ourselves, then we can lead and manage others. And so um, I am forever always um, evaluating different professional development opportunities, conferences, particularly around you know my, my discipline. I always like to seek those out. Um, I just have a curious nature, so I like to you know subscribe to blogs and different publications that I feel like are really rich in content. Um, ask a lot of questions. I surround myself with people that are smarter than I am and um, um, very capable at, at so many different things. Um, you know, I think it's just kind of a multitude of, of, of you know, combination of all of those elements that I just that I just mentioned and never feeling like um you're at a point to where you you know it all. You know, always being willing to be open-minded enough to um, engage in certain conversations and dialogue, and you know, readings, materials that will allow you to you know expand your horizon a little bit more than what just the lens that you have. I think that's a part of being an intentional inclusionist, which is mm-hmm. the name of my book. <laughs> well, and I think one of the things that you just hit on there is so important. We've talked recently about confirmation bias, mm-hmm. and I think in our world of social media, and you know, with some of the things recent recently in our country politically, people have this tendency to, you know, they listen to the news that aligns with their beliefs. They surround themselves with people who align with what they already believe just to continue to confirm their thinking. So, I mean, how how do you help other people overcome their own confirmation bias and maybe realize that's an issue? Clearly you do it for yourself, but yeah. how do you help lead other people but to that? Get them away from that fixed mindset yes. into an open mindset. And get them to understand the value of inclusion, which yeah. means that you're going to have to, again, become this intentional inclusionist. And part of that is getting out of your bubble, being proactive and intentional to expand your network beyond those who may look like you, sound like you, talk like you, think like you, and be open to those different um, perspectives and just routinely start doing that. I mean, I think that's the best way. I'm so excited about the millennial population right now that is growing and it's going to be the lar- and it's right now the largest population in the workforce because I feel like that group gets it probably more so than some of the other generations in terms of um, just the, um, the importance and the significance and the value of connecting with people that are different from them. And so, and I think that that's a great lesson for, for the other generations is we need to kind of adopt some of that. Yeah, it's going to take some work. I mean, we're we're going to be doing some stuff, interviewing young professionals. Mm. We're trying to get an uphill conversations just with young professionals. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. just to hear what they say, yeah. but also give them some coaching to help them with that process mm-hmm. of integrating in as well. Because you know how it is, it's like, you know, they're never going to change, right? Oh, yeah. They, you're yeah. looking at these people. They're never going to invite me in. They're going to despise my youth. They're going to think that blah, blah, blah. So we want to help them with that and go, wait a second. Your life's not going to depend on what they do. Mm-hmm. So we want to hear and validate mm-hmm. the things they feel. Oh, absolutely. But we want to help them connect it. You know what I mean? And then we're also working the other way, too, from like the older, older people like Megan, because she's so much <laughs> older than I am. 
And she's so old. She's so old, yeah. <laughs> she's so much older than I am. And because, I mean, I just broke the millennial barrier. <laughs> <laughs> You're right in there, I'm Tim. I'm right in there, right in there. <laughs> but, um, like, so two things. I'm going to ask you one, and then we're gonna, this is one of our favorite ones about okay. the end of the year, mm-hmm. the three things. Mm-hmm. So... I'm wondering about this because I know you're you're a thinker like me. That mind of yours is always going. <laughs> okay. How do you turn your brain off for just some just sacred space in that mind? Just stillness. What do you do? What are some things that help you to do that? You're like, oh, Tim. I know. Let's see. Um <laughs> I I frequent the spa. <laughs> okay. Literally, that's that's like my quiet time, and um, you know, my husband and I are. Um, this is gonna sound maybe a little odd, but we're we're equally yoked in terms of um, our how in which we we view life. We both are really into working hard, but we both are into kind of playing hard as well. So when we decide we're gonna shut it down, and this is now you know our time go upstairs to the movie room. I mean, we really, everything else is left behind. This is our time. We're not going to think about anything else. We're going to watch television, watch a movie, whatever the case may be. And the older that we get, I feel like the 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 more we value that. And, you know, when you start to, to really appreciate something more and more, you tend to allow yourself that luxury of being able to go there with it. And so I feel like um, that, that's been part of how I, I shut down. But it's hard, Tim. It's hard, you know. I mean, I, I am wired to produce. I am. I, I don't know any other way. I am wired to produce. You know, people kept saying to my husband, what, what is your wife going to do when she finishes her doctorate? Because they knew how much time I was spending there. He was like, oh, it doesn't face me. She's going to find a million <laughs> yeah, other things to yeah. replace that Trust time me, with. there's 20 more. I know. 20 more things waiting on her. I know, I know. She's got them in a notebook. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's just that's just how I'm wired. Um, but I have to say this too. I mean, I, and I used to really give myself a hard time about just feeling like I have to fill up every moment of my world with something beyond just quiet. And, um, but I realized though, that it, it honestly makes me a better person. You know, you kind of know when you're in that stride and when you're kind of in your element and you're hot, right. if I sit still for too long, I feel like, um, I lose a lot of my, my passion and my creativity. You know, I, I tell people all the time that, like, um, the work that I do, even though it's work, it's not really work. It's really my passion. It's my purpose. And I, I tell my husband often um, that it, my work is like his golf for him. Right. You mm-hmm. know, even if it's a day off, that an enjoyable day for me is kind of, you know, being able to, at my own pace, sit down and kind of, you know, develop this idea that's been brewing for quite some time um, or to, you know, perfect this particular idea that I've been working on, create something new. You know, so that's, I get rejuvenated by that. So I know, strange. No, it's, <laughs> no, I love no, it. it's you. It's you. And yeah. this, is, this is great because there are, trust me, there are listeners that are going, oh, I feel better. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not, the, you know, people think something's wrong with them yeah. because they're that way. You know? I, when I, oftentimes I speak to a lot of groups and particularly when I mention this to women, I hear this gasp in the audience, but I always say, I do not believe in work-life balance. 
We we have that. And we the don't audience know. goes. <gasps> yeah, I, Mika, I, I I do not believe that mm-hmm. is an elusive thing. It's you not. Know, there's no such. I believe in work life blending. Blending. There you go. Because yeah. sometimes it's seventy percent. Yes. And then another time it's thirty here. But then you may have to do twenty like this. And honestly, mm-hmm. everything that's worth having, at least I have found this for my life. At some point in time, it imbalances our life. Mm-hmm. But. What I found that is important when when you are um, a believer of work-life blending is that whatever you're doing at that moment, you have to be all in, though. You know, you you can't try to straddle the fence. You need to be all in at whatever moment that you've designated as for X or for Y. Be all into that X and that Y. So I love that. It's good. That's good. I love that. I'm, I'm stealing that. You can steal it. It's being announced it's right now on this podcast <laughs> that I will be saying instead of work-life balance in the way I, I have my own weird work-life blend. I love it. Yeah. But you got to The key you said is whatever it is you're yeah. doing, be present. Absolutely. Be all in that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's great. Yeah. I love the work-life blend. I've been a big fan of that terminology mm-hmm. for a couple of years now. And um, I think that especially if you're doing things that whether it's volunteering in the community or whether you're working and especially if you are pursuing a career that aligns with your passion, you can't really, you you can't turn off a part of yourself. It just isn't, isn't possible. So I think that's great. Uh, So one thing that we would love to know are what are three things that you're most optimistic about in 2017? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is um, I'm optimistic that I feel even with the emotionally charged election cycle that we had and, and, and some of the aftermath that's um, now that has surfaced and continues to surface and fester, I, I have no choice but to be hopeful about the fact that this is there's going to be some good in the end. And that is going to create opportunities where people are going to think more intently about now, what is my place in this world to make it better? How do I now get involved to identify those areas that I feel like have, uh, have voids um, to be the change I want to see in the world, to be the inclusion I want to see in the world? You know, so many people said after the post-election that, you know, DNI practitioners, they're going to fall off the face of the earth and there's not going to be, you know, no industry for that role and that work. And I, I feel the complete opposite. Right. I think that it has this is having this um, effect where people now are much more engaged. You hear the conversation um, come up a lot more. And um, so I so I'm, I'm hopeful that the dynamics of what's happening because of the emotionally charged election cycle is going to cause us to band together. And intersectionality is going to become a lot more important than um, probably what it has been historically. Um, I am, let's see, what are the two other things that I'm really, I'm really hopeful about for 2017? Um, you know, on a personal level, I am hopeful that I'm going to get this entrepreneurship thing right. I'm a first-time entrepreneur. It's exciting. Well, you've been an entrepreneur. Well, I, I have been an earlier. entrepreneur. You've been amazing. You always have led from within. And yeah. you have been well, a I appreciate very that, good Tim. Yeah. But now this year I get to be a traditional Trisor. entrepreneur. Right. And so that's scary. While at the same time, it's, it's, it's very, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about it. I have hope about that. You know, trying something different is, is, is hopeful for me. Any events or anything coming up that you're excited um, about? 
I will talk about an event since you bring that up. I'm not sure if this would have actually been on the list originally, but um, so, you know, we've mentioned, we referenced my role at the chamber a couple times in this conversation. So um, I serve as a senior advisor to the Greenville Chamber's Diversity and Inclusion Initiative. And for the first time in the history of the chamber, we are doing a new experience that we're offering in October, which is a full day experience around diversity and inclusion. And it's all about effective management of human difference. So it kind of goes back to what we, the labelings that I put on some of the the terminology around diversity and inclusion. But what I'm excited about and hopeful about is that, again, I'm one that believes in getting to the crux of the matter. So it's not just your traditional, we're going to come and we're going to talk about race relations, or we're going to come and we're going to talk about LGBT. I mean, it's much deeper than that. It's really trying to connect people um, with, um, with topics that um, impact them every single day in their personal lives, their work lives, but they just not have not had an opportunity to really engage in those discussions in a way that helps to um, bring about change and bring about um, understanding. Um, and I believe that the lack of clarity is what leads to resistance. And so I'm really, I'm really excited that um, the opportunities for people to come together to learn, to hear from wonderful speakers in a safe environment is going to um, be very fruitful for our community. So that's October 17th. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have to share information about that and, you know, help let people know about it. Well, we have really enjoyed our conversation with you and thank you so much for all the time. Um, Could you let our listeners know how to connect with you? Oh, sure. I am on just about every imaginable social media (laughs) platform, Um, but LinkedIn. She was Snapchatting while we were (laughs) just kidding. No, she wasn't. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Nika White. I'm on Facebook. But actually, all of my social media channels, you can find a direct link on my website. And so that is NikaWhite.com. That's the easiest. I would love to hear from you all. Well, Nika, of course, we, you and I always have some great conversations. Yep. Usually when you and I talk on the phone, it is probably what? I know. I don't know it goes and goes 30, and goes 30, 45 and goes. minutes, hour. <laughs> we both leave and we go start something brand new. Exactly. So that's why I have to be prepared when I come and visit with you, Tim, because I'm like, I'm already wired to like have a mul- million things on my plate. And so now when I leave here today, it's going to be a million and five. <laughs> well, we do need to have our follow-up, which we okay. said we're going to sit down and talk yes. because... We're, we're moving into kind of this same circle and space of doing things. We got to figure out what we can do. Exactly. Just go and What bring can we it. work on together? We're ready. Yeah. So, well, this has been another episode of uh, Uphill Conversations, and we're so glad that you could join and listen in. And please go check out our wonderful friend, Nico White stuff. It, it'll be worth um, your pursuit and looking into and moving past just being curious, which is good. I love that. Um, always remember that you can be more, do more, and have more, and that everything worth having is uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. But you know what? Most importantly, you will see people like Nika, Megan, and myself, and I, whichever is the proper way to say it, <laughs> and me, and me <laughs> on the hill, and we will see you soon. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.